A reading from Judith. Judith prostrated herself, put ashes on her head, and uncovered the sackcloth she was wearing. At the very time when the evening incense was being offered in the house of the God in Jerusalem, Judith cried out to the Lord with a loud voice and said, Your strength does not depend on numbers, nor your mind on the powerful. For you are the God of the lowly, helper of the oppressed, upholder of the weak, protector of the forsaken, savior of those without hope. Please, please, God of my Father, God of the heritage of Israel, Lord of heaven and earth, creator of the waters, God of all your creation, hear my prayer. Make my deceitful words be wound and bruise on those who plan cruel things against your covenant and against your sacred house and against Mount Zion and against the house your children possess. Let your whole nation and every tribe know and understand that you are God, the God of all power and might, and that there is no other who protects the people of Israel but you alone. The word of the Lord. Let us read together from page 50 of the morning prayer book, The Song of Mary. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For his mighty and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath throughout Israel, as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, now, as will be forever. Amen. A reading from 2 Corinthians. The love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, therefore is in is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Please turn to page 50 and let us read together the canticle of Zechariah. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a mighty salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets 
which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our forefathers and to remember his holy covenant, perform the oath which he swore for our Abraham, that he would forgive us, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou shalt be prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people for the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from the high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of John. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. What are you looking for? Whom do you seek? We go to the doctor, we go to the mountains, we look to the children, and we drink from the fountain. We go to the Bible, and we go through the workout. We read up on revival, and we stand upon that lookout. There's more than one answer to these questions pointing me in a crooked line. And the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find. These words might be familiar, familiar to some of you, 
It's a classic song from the Indigo Girls. It speaks of this need that I think most of us have in us, this need for a greater understanding, a need to try to make sense of it all. It also speaks how often when we have this longing to make sense of it all, to seek things out, that it actually kind of feels like a fruitless effort. Whom are you looking for? This is the first thing that Jesus says to the first two disciples at the beginning of the Gospel of John. It's likely intentional that it's the same exact phrase, the same question that we hear today towards the end of the Gospel. When Jesus first asked those first two disciples, they identified him as rabbi and said they wanted to see where Jesus was staying. Jesus invited them to come and see. Of course, they went, and they ended up seeing so much more than they were asking for, so much more than they were looking for. They were seeking one thing, but found something much greater. Jesus' ministry on earth begins with this question, who are you looking for? And the gospel comes to an end, and arguably the beginning of a new phase of resurrected ministry with the same exact question, this time pointed towards the first evangelist, Mary Magdalene. Today is the feast day of Mary Magdalene. And while often it would get transferred until the next open day, sometimes we like to do what we want instead of what the rubrics tell us we should do. So we're going to celebrate the feast of Mary Magdalene today. Up front, I would like to address who Mary is and who she's not. Mary is not, as far as we know, a prostitute. While it is often something that is thought of, this was a misconception that started somewhere in the Middle Ages and seemed to carry on. There is an unnamed prostitute that's mentioned in Scripture, but there's really no indication that Mary is this person. And you may ask why I think it's important to identify this today, and that's simply because I want to honor who Mary is. Not that there'd be anything wrong if that was her history and part of her story, but there's no clear indication that it actually is. What we do know about Mary is that early on, Mary was healed from seven demons. Once Jesus healed her, she joined his party, she followed him, and it sounds from what we can read that she financially supported his ministry throughout. We also know, as I said earlier, that Mary was the first evangelist. Now what's significant about this is Mary is a woman. And in the ancient Near East, women were not considered dependable, reliable witnesses. And yet Jesus chose her to be the first one to witness his resurrected body. Focusing back on the fact that Mary was healed from seven demons, it's also interesting and important to recognize that in the ancient Near East culture, women normally did not have much power within society. Sometimes they did, sometimes they came into wealth in some unknown way and so had a little bit more power, but 
but often the only power they had was within their household. Basically, women were the ones that made the household run. They were the ones doing most of the heavy lifting. And therefore, they had the ability to then be the head of the house, to put the demands in, to say, you know, without me, things wouldn't function, so I insist on doing X or doing Y. And so, usually, within the household, they'd have some sense of power. It's probably safe to assume that Mary, being possessed by seven demons, or completely possessed, was not able to function as the head of the house, therefore did not have power. But, or sorry, before Jesus rid Mary of these seven demons, what do you think Mary was looking for? What did she want? Most likely, she was seeking some kind of freedom from this captivity that she felt her brain and her body were being held by. She may have also been looking for some way to be able to once again contribute to her family's needs, to once again have some sense of dignity. But what did she actually find? She found a complete healing, yes, but she found more. She found a relationship with a teacher and part of a community that was beyond anything she could understand. She was able to contribute to something much bigger, much bigger than just one household. And then we pick up Mary's story, where we hear it today in the Gospel. She's at the tomb. It's a couple of days after Jesus has died. She's probably feeling that her life is once again drastically shifting. Once again, her life is going from some position of power to powerlessness. She's at the tomb early to mourn the death of Jesus and to mourn the death of her current life. She finds the tomb empty. She goes off to tell the disciples, some of whom come back to see for themselves. They witness the linens being folded where the body had been. And then the disciples leave. But Mary stays. What is she looking for? Whom is she seeking? Was she looking for some answer, some way to make sense of all that had happened, and now to make sense of this newest event of the body being gone? On the most basic level, she was simply looking for Jesus' body. She was there to fulfill her final duties. She was there to mourn the death of Jesus, to using Israel uh, proper ritualistic techniques, she was there to mourn. This was her last act to be able to serve her master, to serve her teacher. In a sense, it might have been her last act of power. She was there to mourn the dead. But what did she find? There was no death to mourn. Jesus was very much alive. And he had come with good news. First, he was saying that his work was not done, that he was ascending to the Father. And he also was explaining that through conquering death, he was joining with the disciples 
Mary included in a much deeper relationship, a fuller connection with God. They were now family, one household. This is more than she was looking for, more good news than she could have ever hoped for. She, was looking, she went looking for a dead body, but returned finding new life. Judith is the second woman that we learned about today. She too was looking for something. So the backstory to this, I hope it's helpful. I mean, to be honest, I don't know the story of Judith all that well, and so I had to do my own Cliff Notes reading. And so here's the condensed version for you all as a little catch-up. This Israelite community that Judith was a part of was completely surrounded by a Babylonian army. They'd been under attack and were seeing no hope, no way of defeating the Babylonians. The Israelite men, the army, they were becoming very desperate. They were losing hope. So they started to make a deal. They were making a deal with the Babylonians while putting God to the test. And they were saying, basically, they were saying to the Babylonians, if our God doesn't come and intervene in five days, we will surrender. Just let us stay alive and we will become your slaves. Slaves. This is the same community who not that long ago, just a few generations earlier, God had done some pretty radical things to make sure that they were no longer slaves. And here they were, being willing to go back into slavery. Judith was looking for a solution to this Babylonian army issue too. But she was trying to stay focused on God. This prayer that we hear today, I believe, is the linchpin to this story. Without this prayer, we continue reading and we hear about how Judith dresses up to the nines. She goes and seduces the Babylonian general. She takes his head, quite literally, flaunts it in front of the, in front of the Babylonians, who freak out and flee. So the Israelite community gets to live another day. If you hear that portion of the story without this prayer, you might think that Judith herself is just taking matters in her own hands. It's hard to see that faith. And whether or not God had told Judith to do this or whatever, we do know that Judith was looking for God through all of this. She had not given up hope. She believed in God who was the creator of heaven and earth, who had freed their ancestors from slavery, who were on the side of the poor and the oppressed who were on the side of the underdog. While the Israelites were looking for the quick fix to save themselves from this battle, Judith was looking for the God of justice. She was looking for the God who was the God of her ancestors, the God who had blessed them many times before and who she knew would bless them again. What are we looking for? Whom do we seek? This is a question that is still relevant today, I think, for all of us. As you may know, I moved to Calcutta, India for about three years to live with the poor when I was in my 20s. 
I went there thinking I was pretty hardcore. I was living in a small little slum community. I shared a toilet, or which was really nothing more than a hole in the ground, with about seven other families taking bucket baths out in the front courtyard with all the women every morning. I thought it was pretty tough stuff. What was I looking for by going to India? This is a question that I ask myself quite often in reflection. I think some of my reasons were going for were pretty noble and pretty honorable. But I have to admit, I think some of my reasons for going were a bit off. See, I was looking for a way to be radical. I was looking for a way to be different. I wanted to buck the system. I was also looking for a way to be a savior. See, I had not realized that God was the one who had already done the saving through Jesus Christ. And then I was just being called into partnership to journey alongside God as he ushered in the kingdom in the present. I was not, nor will I ever be, a savior. I was looking for a God of quick fixes. I was looking around me and seeing so many people struggling, so many people who were poor, so many people whose lives were just a desperate mess. And I was longing to see God fix those like that, instead of recognizing that God is in it for the long haul. He is like that yeast in the bread that slowly, over time, ushers in his kingdom. So what did I find? I found a God who walked alongside the oppressed, a God who sat with the broken. I found a God who brings glimpses of hope in the most dark, obscure places. I found a God who was in Calcutta long before I ever got there. And thank God, a God who will be there long after I am gone. I found a God who helped me to grow and heal in ways that were so much more than any way that I could help others grow and heal. I went to Calcutta looking for one thing, but I found something much, much greater. There is such hope in this story of Mary that we hear today. Even though she didn't fully understand what she was looking for, God showed up. God seemed to find her. Jesus called her by name as the Good Shepherd does. And like one of his sheep, she recognized his voice and came to him. She finds more than she bargained for. She finds an intimate relationship. Rabboni, no longer rabbi. Teacher, not only a teacher, but a friend and a family member. God is now her parent as God is Jesus' parent. And she is in relationship with brothers and sisters beyond just one household. She goes from being controlled by evil and most likely being isolated from parts of society to being a part of a community. Not only that, she became the first evangelist, the first to share the good news that Jesus is risen, death is defeated, and God is with us. What are we looking for? Whom do we seek? How does God show up to us 
in ways that is beyond our understanding and beyond our expectations. I have kissed honey lips, felt healing in their fingertips. It burned like fire, this burning desire. I have spoke with tongues of angels. I have held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Don't give up, my brothers and sisters. Keep looking. God will show you more than you ever could have asked for or imagined.